Good morning once again. My name is Alan, and uh, this morning we're talking about being foolish and weak, which none of you here uh, can relate to. But I do want to ask uh, if you've ever done anything foolish. You ever done anything? Some honest people raise their hands. Good for you. This week, just kind of for fun, I was uh, with my wife, and I asked her, I said, honey, honey, can you think of anything uh, that I've done that was foolish? And... Uh, she kind of giggled, and then she rattled off about 12 things, uh, and I finally said, okay, okay. It's as if she had this list prepared already uh, before I, uh, I launched into the question. But one of the things that she reminded me of was uh, before, right before we got married, we, were, uh, we, were, we had met, and we were kind of courting a little bit, but we hadn't gotten married uh, yet, and I flew into Paris and I uh, was going to stay there for a week, and I didn't have any money, and I didn't have any place to stay, I didn't have any plans whatsoever. I was in Africa for four months prior to that, and I set myself up to have a one-week layover in Paris, because I always wanted to go to Paris. I speak French, so I always wanted to do that, and so I thought, great opportunity. I had planned for the whole Africa thing. That was great. It was taken care of. I had uh, African, you know, memorabilia and the whole thing, and I landed in Paris and went, oh, no. I really, I had no plans, I had no money. I finally contacted somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody in Paris and called them up and said, hey, can I stay with you? And I did, and everything was okay. But uh, that was one of those times where uh, Tammy just kind of goes, I don't, know, I don't know who you are. And, uh, but that's the kind of person I am, take, take it or leave it. But, but uh, the, we are in a series called The Whole Shebang. And we're looking and through 2010, the entire year, we're looking at the overall grand story of God. And right now where we are in the whole shebang, in the overall story, is in a section that we're calling the revolution. And it is a time where Jesus said to his followers, he said, I want you to expand the, uh, the love of God beyond anything you could possibly imagine and start a revolution. And what we're doing is we're, we're studying the book of Acts. The revolution is about the story in the book of Acts in the New Testament. And there's a reason it's called the book of Acts. It's not called the book of Ponder. It's not called the book of Consider. It's the book of doing something. This series is about getting off our behinds and doing something, getting our hands a little bit dirty and going for it. We are. That's why we're doing these Rocky Point trips is to is to go and do these things. We had 35 people who went on the trip yesterday, and right before we left, we, uh, we were gathered in a parking lot, and, um, and I said, how many of you have never been on a mission trip before? And my guess is about 30 hands went up. 30 to 35, some of them are not here today because we're just totally exhausted. But uh, uh, it was just an incredible trip with a bunch of people who said, I've never done anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. It's a matter of doing something. It's a matter of seeing the world from, from, a different, from a different perspective and seeing uh, some of what, of what God sees. And it's, a, it's an incredibly inspiring thing. Today, as we talk about uh, continuing to be revolutionaries, as part of the revolution, is that revolutionaries are foolish and weak. And the main section of Scripture I want to look at is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to read it with you. If you do not have your Bibles, I invite you to just listen to this. It's, sometimes when Scripture is read, it's just kind of, yeah, we'll see. Really, really listen to these words. If you brought your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's kind of early on in the New Testament. It goes the four Gospels, then the book of Acts, then Romans, then 1 Corinthians. And uh, if and when you find it, would you stand with me? Would all of you stand with me in reverence to the Word of God? We are going to read this section together. I'm beginning in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the, intelligent of the, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we want to be moved by you today. Once again, God, to be reminded that there is a revolution going on and that you are inviting us to be a part of it. And that it is not about our own wisdom. It's not about our own strength. It is about tapping into your power. God, would you come and make us foolish and weak by the world's standards so that we can make an amazing impact for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please have a seat. I want to just uh, invite you in on some of the context for where Paul writes this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Last week we looked at the fact that, that Paul wanted to do something. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The kingdom of God is expanding. It's bigger than anyone could have possibly imagined. It's going beyond, beyond, beyond. And Paul says, i got to do something about this. So he packed up and he went on his first missionary journey. It's what we looked at last week. Well, this week we're looking at a uh, we're going to go back into the book of Acts as well and see the context of Paul writing 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And here he's going on his second journey. His second journey is longer and farther than his first journey. And he goes into a town called Athens, a city called Athens. I want to turn to Acts chapter 17. And from Corinthians, you want to go back a few books to Acts chapter 17. He is in a city called Athens. I'm beginning in verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. He's talking to non-Jewish folks, a completely new teaching that Paul is offering. And he's going to a place called Areopagus. Areopagus means hill of Eris or hill of Mars. And if you've ever heard the phrase Mars Hill, it is the name of a seminary. It's the name of some pretty influential churches in our country. The phrase Mars Hill comes from this story. It's from the word Areopagus. And uh, he continues here in the story, verse 20. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Hmm, hmm, hmm. You ever known people like that? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the, of the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim 
to you. Paul is walking around to these folks who do not know God. They don't know the power of Christ. And he's about to talk to them about it. And he sees that they have these, these magnificent statues. And one of them is claimed to an unknown God. He said, the real God, the creator God, is not a statue. He is a person. Jump down to verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He says, your history, what has brought you to this place, is a place of ignorance. He says this in Athens. In Athens, just a few centuries prior to this, were some of the the most wise and incredible philosophers of human history. You might remember Socrates or Socrates, as Bill and Ted like to refer to him. Here's a few pictures of the philosophers five centuries before. This is Socrates, this is Plato, and this is Aristotle. They were all one generation after another, right after another, all from all these Greek philosophers from the same era. I've never, when I put this together, I thought, man, they look the same, don't they? They look so identical. They all have those really creepy eyes. But one thing that could be said about these guys, they are smart. They came up with some incredible teachings and writings. And uh, it is in this area that that this this is kind of the center of wisdom. I mean, they're at the pinnacle of wisdom. And this moved from century to century to the point where the people in Athens are still standing around pondering the thoughts of others, as Paul says. And Paul says to that group in that city, you're ignorant. And, and, and God will, God will uh, forgive your ignorance of the past. Whoa. He is, he is challenging the wisdom. What God is doing through Paul here is he is saying, I want to redefine wisdom. I want to f- redefine what it means to be foolish, what it means to be weak. I want to reset the whole deal. Jump back to what I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says that the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness to the Jews because the Jewish history always had big, powerful, majestic stories where, where God came in great power to overcome circumstances. The idea of a, of a man shamefully dying on a cross is foolishness to the Jews. And to the Greeks who did not know the Jewish story or were not connected to the Jewish story, the cross was foolishness because a, a, a meaningless death on a cross has no wisdom. There's, there's nothing wise to that story. That was not drawing them in. It was foolishness to those who had gathered. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 25, he says, The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. So what is man's wisdom? What is the wisdom of this world? I want to throw out three examples. They're certainly not the full deal, but they're three examples that pop pop out to me this week. One example of the wisdom of this world is that more is better. More, more, more. I want to have more money. I want to have a bigger car. I want to have a prettier wife. I want to have a husband who's more attentive. I want to have kids who are more obedient. More, more, more. I remember Homer Simpson once said, once said to Mr. Burns, wow, you're so wealthy. And Mr. Burns said, yes, but I'd give it all away for just a little bit more. <laughs> more, 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 more. It's the wisdom of this world. Another example of the wisdom of this world is every man for himself. 
man or woman for herself, that, that it, it is about self-preservation, that I will take care of me. I will climb the ladder and step on a few people along the way if I have to. I will take care of myself. I will save, protect myself. And then if there's time, I'll look back and, there's, and I'll see if there's anything that I can do to help others later on. The wisdom of this world, third example, is the pursuit of happiness. Ah, the American way. It is that I deserve to be happy, that I will do it if it makes me happy. The pursuit of happiness. And this one has absolutely crept into the church. It's crept into an entire way that we encounter God, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, a little ways back, I visited a church. I was at another church, my wife and I, and the speaker was talking about how the, f- the fact that he is always happy. He says, I am always happy. And I just looked at my wife. I said, and we looked at each other and went, what is that all about? I don't get that. That's not real. We're, you're setting up a, a standard to always be happy? And then the guy went on to explain that, that God wants us to be wealthy, that when we are followers of him, we will have financial wealth and, and all this stuff. This is uh, kind of a packaged uh, often as the health and wealth gospel. That when we, it is the health and wealth, that when you follow Christ, this is what will follow from this. The only problem with the health and wealth gospel, which is very popular and holding, the only problem with it, it's not biblical. It's just not in there. That's not what the journey is all about. Paul, Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. So with regard to more is better, more, 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 God says, give it away. Give it away. It's better to give than to receive. He says to the, to the rich young man, you've got to give it all away. If you want to, to be spiritually healthy, then you've got to look at your finances. You've got to look at your willingness to trust God and say, I even trust you with this. And the invitation from Scripture is that we give a tithe. It's an incredible thing. 10% in this economy, in this world, 10% to the local church so that it can do the ministry along with your help, etc., so that the kingdom of God can, can happen here in this community and around the world. With regard to uh, every man for himself, Jesus, who is the king of all kings, the king of all kings, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. When I think about the foolishness of God with regard to every man for himself, this week I remembered when I was very young, I was probably about nine years old, somewhere around there, and my older brother was at a summer church camp, and it was the same camp that I go to. It's a week-long camp in the summer, uh, except it was his age group, so he was gone and I was at home. And this camp was very near Red River in central Alberta. And part of this camp is that uh, there would be at least one journey down to the river to go swimming in the river. And during my brother's time at this camp, Red River, for whatever reason, up uh, uh, upriver, uh, the, the water started to rise. And the water started flowing very rapidly. And the water rose very quickly in Red River. This was kind of an uncommon situation there. So we got a bunch of 12, 13-year-old kids who are in this Red River at this camp, and the water starts rising, and they are frantically getting kids out of the water, frantically. 
and they're doing a great job getting kid after kid. The very last kid is, uh, um, uh, is struggling to get out, and a young counselor, 25-year-old man, uh, gets the kid and makes sure he gets to the shore, and the kid is saved. But right when that happens, this 25-year-old counselor, he lost his footing, and he got swept down the river, never to be seen again. So my brother goes to this camp, and one of his counselors that he connected with dies. Now, is this man a fool or a hero? According to the wisdom of this world, he's a fool. Now, we'd never say that. No media would ever say that. It would never be voiced in that way. But if our perspective on life is every man or woman for him or herself, if it is, about, if it is all about what we do during our breaths here on this life, then his actions were foolish. I mean, well, who cares if he is well-remembered, if he has a legacy, if he has a plaque somewhere remembering his incredible sacrifice. If all there is is what we do during our time on this earth, who cares from his perspective? But according to the foolishness of God, he's a hero. Greater love has no man than he lay down his life for someone else. With regard to the pursuit of happiness, this, this is a powerful one for us. This is huge. We, we believe it is an absolute right for us to be happy. The Declaration even says that it is our unalienable right, which means that aliens can't even come and take it from us. <laughs> that's, that's my understanding of what that means. That if my wife is not making me happy, then I can leave. Because I have a right to be happy. If my husband is not making me happy, I can look for someone else. If my kids are not making me happy, I've tried. But if they're not making me happy, then I can just go ahead and ignore them. And just kind of let them get through the teenage years and move away. And then we'll see what happens after that. But they're not making me happy. Or I can just leave. I can, just, I can just walk away. They'll be taken care of. They'll be fine. They're kids. They'll be fine. They're resilient. The pursuit of happiness is deeply and woefully ingrained in how we do life. And God says, no, it's not about your happiness. It's about the purpose that God has called you to. It is about you playing your unique and significant role in the whole shebang, in the grand story. And there is a promise of joy in that journey. There is a promise of joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that flows out of following the purpose of God for our lives. But what we do is we get mixed up on it and we make happiness the goal instead of the purpose God has put in our lives is the goal, and then happiness is something that happens outside of that, secondary to that. When we live lives where the primary goal is our happiness, we will never be satisfied. It is a goal that will always elude us. We will reach for it, and, and we'll just miss it, and we'll go again and again and again. We will not reach it, and we will die frustrated. Paul goes on a third missionary journey and 
I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, he's on his uh, third journey and he's leaving a city. In verse 22, he says this to the folks as he's leaving. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul, in his missionary journeys, he meets up with some incredible resistance, people who are... um, offended and nervous and scared and his life truly is in danger he says I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me however I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace in other words my purpose in life is not to be happy it is to do what God is calling me to do Reminds me of a, uh, of a quote, one of my favorite quotes. If I can have it up on, our, on the screen here. I don't want to finish the race gently. I want to slide sideways across the finish line with trailing oil and belching smoke. My engine, a ruined lump of molten steel, utterly spent and fully realized. That a goal of life is not to be comfortable, it's not to be happy, it is to do the will of God in our lives. That's where we will get the satisfaction. The goal of life is not more, 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 more. The goal of life is not self-preservation, me, take care of me first, me first. And the goal of life is not the pursuit of happiness. It's not comfort and safety and perfection and cleanliness and having no stains on the carpet. It's about loving God and loving others in any way that we possibly can. That's the revolution. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25, he says, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So there's, there's a wisdom issue and a strength area issue. And the, the man's strength issue, the, the way that we typically do strength, is we deny, we deny weakness. We deny that there's any problem. I'm fine. I'm fine. No problem. I, I don't need any help. I'm good. I'm good. I don't have any problems. I don't have any weaknesses. I'm fine. I'm fine. And Paul models that you don't have to do it that way. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. It's kind of part two of this letter that he wrote. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Paul was realizing that God was using him in a powerful way. And he was saying to, to, the, to the people, he was saying, if you think I'm perfect, you are so wrong. I have this thorn in the flesh. And he doesn't even describe what it is. It's probably worse than what we could imagine. We don't know what that thorn was. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This is an amazing thing that Paul is doing here. He is bursting the bubble for these folks in, in Corinth. Because this struggling church, we read in First and Second Corinthians that they, they are a struggling group of people. They're wealthy, and they're, they have a lot of barriers to get over in order to truly enter into the fullness of what Christ is calling them to. And in this struggling church, Paul breaks the bubble of his perfection and says, I got weaknesses like you could only imagine. This is, this, is an, this is a very important thing that Paul is doing for them. Because what he's saying is, it's not about my strength. It's not about maybe someday you can be as strong as me. It is a reminder for Paul throughout his journey that it is God working through his weaknesses, despite his weaknesses. And you notice, Paul, he doesn't whine about his thorn, about his weaknesses. He doesn't assume that God will take them away. God's a powerful guy, and he's seen healings all around him. He doesn't assume, well, my God is so good and so big, and I am so obedient to him. He will take away my weaknesses so that I can have a perfect, happy life. He doesn't assume that of his God. He says, I assume I will carry this weakness with me as a reminder that it is not about my strength. I have another quote I want to share with you. We should not be taken in by the idea of the man who keeps up the impression of strength because he keeps his life well within the limits of what he can easily cope with. Such a man is never weak because he is never affected, concerned, involved, or committed beyond a cautiously safe limit. This was neither Jesus' ideal of life nor Paul's. To be controlled by the love of Christ means inevitably to reach the limit of one's abilities and to experience weakness. Revolutionaries are foolish and weak. I want to I close this morning by looking at another book that was written in around this time. It was written at the end of Paul's second journey while he was in Corinth. He wrote a book entitled Romans. And this is a masterpiece of a writing. It is a, it is a headful it is a, it's a difficult read. It is a powerful read. It is the most influential book throughout history that, from, from, uh, from Scripture. Book of Romans is the most influential of all books in the Bible. Paul writes this treatise of theology at the time, and it is way beyond his own wisdom. He talks about who God is, about who we are, and what Christ has done as a result of that. And, and really, it's just two things. Book of Romans could be summed up into two things. Number one is, we are messed up. We are messed up. Just to kind of simplify it here, the, the Coles Notes version. That, it, that from our wisdom or from our own strength, we cannot get out of the hole that we're in, the separation that we have between us and a perfect God. And the second thing that Romans says is that God has offered a plan through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are messed up, and God has offered a plan through Jesus. I want to look just at a couple verses in Romans. Chapter 5. Verse 6. 
You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, in other words, weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. According to the wisdom of the world, it's foolishness to die for somebody else. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ became the bridge between us and God. We're messed up. We are separated. And God made a plan through Jesus on the cross. And that the whole cross scene, it's foolishness to Jews and non-Jews. It's foolishness. And that's the point. Because God wanted to redefine foolish. He wanted to redefine weak. He wanted to redefine wisdom. He wanted to redefine strength. Revolutionaries are foolish. They realize that it is not about getting more, 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 more. It is not about self-preservation. That sacrifice is good. And that it is about the pursuit of the kingdom not about our own happiness. And revolutionaries are weak. They realize that it is not about hiding our weaknesses and saying that we are perfect and putting on a, a facade that intimidates others that is not real. It's about being honest about who we are to draw others in towards the strength of God. I was in uh, Rocky Point with a group yesterday and my favorite story was when we were getting set up to assignments for who was going to do what. And it was very well organized, and Stacy came out, and, and, and she had her clipboard, and, and she said, uh, there are going to be four groups who are painting the rooms. Uh, we, are, we are at a hotel trying to uh, fix it up so that it can be usable. There are 35 rooms there, and, and different sections of rooms are at different stages of getting cleaned up and getting ready. And so she's saying uh, four groups of people who are going to go and clean different, or paint different areas, ceilings, uh, uh, et cetera, different uh, sections. And then she said, then there's one group who's going to be led by Mark over here, and they're going to go to the rooms on the other side that haven't been looked at yet. And you're going to need to wear a gas mask. You're going to wear different shoes because these rooms are a mess. There is fecal matter uh, all over these rooms where people have, uh, homeless people have been staying in these rooms. There are uh, 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 things in there that you could not possibly imagine. And so there's going to be one group who's going to join Mark. And I, I'm at the back, and I'm saying, one man team, one, go Mark, you're on. <laughs> See, when I hear the word fecal matter, I just kind of say, that's probably not where I'm going. I just, have, I just have weaknesses, right? What was so cool is when, when she said, okay, now go ahead and, and pick which group you want to be with, that a guy named Fred and his two boys, they took a beeline to Mark's group. They took a beeline saying, fecal matter, yeah! <laughs> and it was awesome. They went straight to it, and they were, they were having a great, joyful, happy time cleaning up. I've got video of it. They're having a great time. While they're working, I was taking video. I had my responsibility. <laughs> this, is, this, is the, this is not the wisdom of man to go outside of ourselves to do these things. This is the foolishness of God, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. I just encourage you, do something. Do something. Let me pray with you. God, 
I know that you don't need us to uh, bring your kingdom here, that it's, it's not limited to our own wisdom or our own strength. But God, out, out of your grace, you invite us to be part of something meaningful. And so, Father, I pray uh, for each of us who, who struggle with these, these three areas that were mentioned here with regard to wanting more and, and taking care of ourselves and the pursuit of happiness. God, in whatever way we encounter those ways of the world, God, that you would inspire us towards something more, towards something that is more Christ-like, towards something that reflects your character. And so, God, in whatever way you want to do that, here in this room, in, in these hearts, in our hearts, come and have your way. Challenge us, God, to do something. And then we will experience true joy, the foolishness of God joy rather than the pursuits of this world. Would you inspire us in that way, God? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Uh, if you're interested in the Rocky Point um, journey, they're having a meeting over in the room just outside and to your left. Otherwise, have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next Sunday for Father's Day.